When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. They're sort of a creative player, though, aren't they? I mean, you, 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 the most creative player in the team is the centre forward. The centre forward who's keeping your sixty million pound Brazilian number nine out of the team. What they're lacking is someone like Versal and massively creative. Everybody and welcome once again to the View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from the Athletic. Joining me on today's episode is the Athletics Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. James still slightly under the weather, so you'll forgive um, the, uh, the kind of nasal tone that he's adopting. The transfer window has slammed shut. On today's episode, we're we'll giving you a roundup of the January uh, sales and a full audit of the Spurs squad as it currently stands. But as you heard there before I introduced the lads, that was top thumping by uh, Chumbawamba. Really played for Antonio Conte. Uh, I've given him plenty of stick. Most of it, I hope, at least uh, uh, from the heart rather than badly informed uh, over the past few months. But nobody would wish him you know, the things that have happened in his personal life. First, that trio of deaths and now... Not a life-threatening, but a very serious operation to have to go through. And uh, we can only uh, wish him the very, very best. I think uh, both James Moore and Jack Pitbrook would agree with that. Yes, Jack? Yeah, yeah, certainly. It's um, a horrible thing to, for him to go through after what's obviously been a very difficult time for him off the pitch. And I think everyone's hoping that he kind of gets back to his uh, old self on the touchline as soon as possible. Yeah, and uh, James, I know, I know that you're um, you, you've been under the weather for a couple of weeks, but let's be fair, you're not in hospital like Antonio. No, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare compare the two things. It's been, it's not been great fun, but it doesn't sound as bad as that. So yeah, all the best to him. Absolutely, um, you know, it, it, we're all human beings at the end of the day. And of course, yesterday um, he did put out a message immediately after his operation, or presumably after he'd uh, come round and had a cup of tea and a sandwich. Thank you for your lovely messages. My surgery has gone well, and I'm already feeling better. Uh, now's time to recover. I can't wait to get back on the field with the team. Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, but give yourself time to recover. I know you're, you know you're not allowed to say this anymore about football. There are more important things than football. And Antonio will probably understand that uh, very, very soon. Okay, I suppose the headline to the opener today, and we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk about the transfer window. We'll talk about Pedro Porro. We'll talk about Spurs right backs in history, and then we'll talk about one that's gone as well, or two, and in, in Matt Doherty and Jed Spence, and we'll try and squeeze in a preview of Manchester City as well. You know, a game that it's a bit like waiting for when you're a kid for the next episode of Doctor Who. You can't wait for it to happen, but slightly trepidation about what will happen. I guess we should say then that the local bylaws insist that we say that the transfer window has slammed shut, and... We told you on Monday um, that the deal for Pedro Porro was off. Don't forget, we also said we stood to be, uh, could be made to look mugs. Don't don't get so upset when somebody tells something that doesn't turn out to be true. You say it in the best of faith. Um, he's there now. That's the madness of the transfer window. 
Spurs got him for what something like 45 million euros from Sporting. Uh, why don't we, before we get into uh, what this means for Spurs, why don't we hear from our Spanish football expert, Dermot Corrigan, to get a brief history of the 23-year-old's time in Spain and learn what his strengths and weaknesses are. Dermot also provides the answer to my question from earlier in the week on why he wasn't picked for Spain at the World Cup. really interesting one remember I first saw Pedro Porro in January 2019 he scored a, a really nice goal for Girona in a Copa del Rey game at the Bernabeu uh, raced through onto a through ball beat Cater Navas with a neat finish and he yeah he was just 19 at that stage it was his first season in Primera but he was a really key player for Girona who were newly promoted and played quite interesting system with really super attacking wing backs and that suited him a lot because he'd been a midfielder or winger in the youth ranks and had pace physical qualities to get up and down the wing all the time there was obviously maybe some work to do on his the defensive side of his game, but he was physically exuberant, technically good, confident lad, and widely seen as a big prospect. So it wasn't a huge surprise when he went to Man City, given his potential and Girona being part-owned by, by City Group. Other teams in Spain had a look at him over, over the time, and Barcelona were linked. They were looking for a Dani Alves replacement, as they have been a lot. And he was mentioned, but uh, I think he was always going to go to City. At Sporting, his numbers are obviously great, and he's got Champions League experience and everything. He was back in late a few seasons ago uh, for maybe half a season and played right midfield most of the time at that stage. That was more kind of rigid 4-4-2. Um, didn't stand out as much there as he had done at Girona, but you know was moving around a good bit at that stage. Over time, there's been talk of him coming back to La Liga. Atletico were linked a few times. Again, maybe there were concerns over the defensive side of his game. He just played once for Spain for Luis Enrique, who was really looking for a right back. Trialed a load of different people at right back. Luis Enrique did over a couple of years. Ended up going for as Piliqueta, kind of for technical or for tactical reasons, because Luis Enrique ended up wanting the right back who would more sit, be able to counter a bit like at Man City, while the left back, who for Spain was often Jordi Alba, bombed on down the other wing. So it wouldn't have suited to have to have Poro bombing on down the right wing and Jordi Alba down the left wing. So I think that's was kind of hurt him for, for Spain. Might go for the next squad because the former under-21 coach, Luis Del Fuente, has taken over and he knows him well. But um, So yeah, he has physical qualities, technical ability, do well in the Premier League. Confident lad too. So it'll be interesting to see how he gets on with Conte's tactical demands too. So James, have Spurs finally finally replace Kyle Walker after much experimentation and expense. You would hope so. I mean, uh, particularly after the expense. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, uh, Spurs went from having the best fullbacks in the league for about six months to it, it being such a position of weakness for ages. And now it's kind of the key tactical element of the system that they're trying to play. And yet you would probably say, I mean, I don't think I'm being unkind. For the most part, over the last 12 months or, or sort of 15 months of, of Conte being at Tottenham, they probably ended up being two of the worst 11 players in the team on a sort of technical level. So it, it kind of does stand to reason that you would like make a big signing in that position. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I'd seen load of Pedro Porro. I mean, obviously, I saw him play in the two Champions League games uh, uh, this season against Spurs. But obviously he has the attributes, as Dermot's mentioned there. Dermot, by the way, is a much better guitar player than I realised. Oh, he, and, and to do it while you're so, talking as well, yeah, superb. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I can certainly see he, it sounds like he has the attributes that will suit the Premier League. Him, him being stronger as an attacking player than a defensive player, obviously, is kind of the opposite of Emerson Royale. So you can kind of see the logic in them being the two that are left at the club. What One who can attack, one who can defend. Now, ideally, you want someone who can do a bit of both, but you can't have everything, can you? Not for only £40 million. Pounds. I, I, th- I, think, um, I think that uh, modern wing-backs, it's, it's actually be, been a bit 
demanding to think that they should be defenders as well. You know, in Spurs' system, they've got three centre-backs, two defensive midfielders, um, and I, I get the width argument, but, you know, those players are supposed to be covering each other. Um, and if you, if you concede the occasional header at the extreme far post um, because the wing-backs aren't where you want them to be, I think, I think it's asking a lot of, of modern wing-backs. Jack, what do, you, what do you make of it? I mean, it's, it's perfectly okay to say. I'm happy to admit it too. Obviously, for another job, I have to follow European football a bit more closely, and he has been the outstanding right-back in Spain for a year or so. I one hundred can only hope that Spurs have solved what has been a recurrent problem for them since Carl Walker left, what was it, five years ago? Yeah, well, Carl Walker left in the summer of 2017, so five and a half years ago. And since then, it's clearly been a big struggle to get anyone really half as good. And this has been, I think, particularly pronounced under Conte in the sense that, you know, when they signed Emerson, Emerson Paratici brought Emerson to play in a back four. Nuno was playing about four in the for his ten league games, and maybe in a if they you know if you're playing a defensive back four system, then maybe Emerson would fit the bill. But to play wing back in a Conte system, like Emerson, obviously not really up to it. And it is you know as we said the other day, it's kind of crazy that it's taken this long to deliver someone this good in this role. But they have done. I've had a lot of tweets over the last few days asking if I if we kind of would resile from our criticisms of Daniel Levy made on Monday's podcast and uh, because they've got the deal done. And I don't think... I think some, I think a lot of those criticisms are still valid. What I would add is that the fact that Levy did manage to complete this deal and that it's a kind of deal that Tottenham wouldn't normally do in the sense that it's very expensive. It's what, the fourth... This is the, going to be the fourth biggest transfer fee Tottenham ever paid. It's the biggest fee they've ever paid in January. It was a very, very complicated deal to do, and it would have certainly been easier to walk away from, from the negotiations uh, at quite a few points. It does show that, I think, you know, for all the criticism of Levy, Levy is willing to compromise a little bit on his normal way of doing things to get players for Conte, which is what we saw in the summer with Perisic and Richarlison. The only part of it that still sticks with me is that if he can do the deal on the 31st of January, they've ended up paying exactly what Sporting would have wanted them to pay. Why didn't they do it on the 1st of January and put us all out of our misery? But maybe that's not how business goes. Well, the interesting thing on, the interesting thing on that, Danny, is that so somebody once said to me that Daniel Levy, or this is someone who knows Daniel Levy well, said that Daniel Levy always wants, he generally, he wants to do transfer deals where he feels like he's won the deal. And that explains why he's so good at, for example, selling a really good player to a, you know, to a rich club for a lot of money, or, you know, sometimes signing players at a really good discount. But he's generally a bit less willing to do a deal where he feels like he has to compromise and there's not, it's not as obvious that he's that he's won the deal. And yet in this particular instance, this has been such a messy negotiation with Sporting, who were very, very difficult to deal with and moved the goalposts a lot and made it very hard for, for Poro to complete the move, even though there was this clause. It's it's not the kind of deal where Levy it's not the kind of deal where anybody would feel like they've won because it was such a slog to get it done. So the fact that Tottenham did it nonetheless does point to this sense that it is a um, you know it is a bit of a compromise on their part. It's also worth remembering the last time Tottenham were locked in negotiations with Sporting was when they tried to sign Bruno Fernandez in September 2019. It's actually not that dissimilar situation in the sense that Fernandez, obviously the best player, really really wanted to come to Tottenham at that point. Sporting were very clear on their. Uh, asking price which I believe was about 70 million euros uh, lots and lots of negotiations I think Tottenham's offer got about as far as 45 plus 20 so 65 million euros and so really not that far away and they didn't get it done whereas this time you know the sort of tricky negotiations between Tottenham and Sporting did in fact manage to reach a positive resolution all right well he's there um, my own take on it very quickly is that uh, he has something that 
Um, I look for in footballers if they're going to, you know, doesn't it doesn't work for everybody. He's a tremendously enthusiastic footballer. He's 23. He's at the peak of his physical fitness. Why wouldn't he be enthusiastic? But he appear, he, he approaches every move in every game from what I've seen of Poro um, with with 100%. This is going to be the best thing I've ever done. It doesn't always come off, but his stats show that he was certainly better than what Spurs had available to them at right wing back. Um, although, in a, in, let's be fair, in a, a less competitive league in Portugal, though a league that does churn out brilliant footballers, we'll have a little bit of a, a wonder about uh, the past of Spurs here. Having finally replaced Kyle Walker, who, I don't want to have recency bias, but I think you could argue is the best right-back Spurs have had in living memory. I want us all to pick uh, a right-back from Spurs history that you love. Not necessarily the very best one, but one that you loved. I'll, le- I'll let you open the bidding, Jack, if, I, if you may. Vejan Chaluka. See, I wouldn't have thought that was the answer, but go on. What I liked about him is he's maybe the slowest fullback I've ever seen. Like, fullbacks are meant to be quick, and yeah, he was, uh, he kind of does everything at his own pace, Chaluka. He's never rushed. He's a really good player. You know, he's a good centre back, good right back, good on the ball, reads the game well. But um, I guess I just liked his kind of unruffledness and his, uh, un- his unflappability was that stood out to me about him. For somebody who played the game at walking pace, um, he may have invented walking football, which is all rage now with the elderly. I should make the point that Dean Austin often re- refers to things that happen on this um, podcast. So if you are a regular listener, Dean, I'm no, I don't know you're going to make this list, mate. But um, if, you're, if you're listening, th- thanks for doing so. Spread the word. What about you, uh, James? Um, you've, you've had, oh, I've got to look at you now. I suspect you've had a minimum of 25 years of watching Spurs right backs. Who's your favourite? Well, there are probably two that would stand out for me in terms of like enjoyment watching. One would be Stephen Carr, who I think in in Conte system would be a pretty handy player. He's like he scored a few goals. He got forward a lot. Had a great engine on him. He's defensively pretty good. He got in the PFA Premier League team of the season twice when Spurs were not really a great team, which is pretty good going actually. You know, Gary Neville would have been somewhere near the peak of his powers around that time. He was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I was biased towards him because he was Irish. The first I used to, in front of me, Mary, a woman in her 70s, I would guess, who at that time was ridiculously biased towards him and would argue the referees who couldn't possibly hear her. But surely his reputation is tarnished by saying, I have to leave Spurs to win trophies, ha, 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 and then going to Newcastle, who until until mid-February will be the least trophy team in the history of the world. That is true. And I don't think he finished above Spurs for the rest of his career after he left. But he did win, did win the League Cup with Birmingham against Arsenal. And it was oh, hilarious. Yeah. So he did kind of claw it back with that. I, I had forgotten that. You're absolutely right. The, the, tech, the second one would be Alan Hutton, who I guess there's a similar sort of time to Chorluka, probably I guess the season before maybe. They're both kind of knocking around for a bit at the same kind of period. And his, his debut against Manchester United, where he had... Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo in his back pocket for like, the entire game it was incredible uh, he's got a couple of ludicrous goals as well one at Bolton I think one at home to Wolves maybe just good fun Not probably not technically the absolute best but decent and aggressive and technically quite good L- quite actually quite an elegant player I mean, I guess uh, I would I mean Stephen Carr would have been my choice uh, if I was given an absolutely free choice because um, and oddly enough, when I was thinking about this last night, Porro, the nearest I could think of what Spurs have had as a player that would be Carr. And that's just to do with running power, I guess. But further back in the midst of time, I, uh, I've got, uh, uh, I'm working up to my choice here. Very quickly, 
Joe Kinnear is now a national laughing stock because the way his career ended uh, managing Newcastle and talking rubbish and all the rest of it. It also it doesn't help his case that he looks like my mum. But uh, Joe Kinnear was a really good fullback back way back in the day. When I very first started going to Spurs, he was a really, and Spurs had a brilliant pair of pullbacks, him and a bloke called Cyril Knowles on the other side, who nice one, Cyril, etc. Lovely footballer. Um, Steve Perryman is a midfield player. But people forget that he played huge chunks of his games for Spurs, of his thousand outfield games, etc., as I always call them, um, at right back. But if I had to choose one, even above the great Steve Perriman, I guess it would be Chris Hewson, who had his most successful time at Spurs at left back, but was essentially a right back. And uh, you used the word elegance about, about Hutton. Chris Hewton was absolute elegance personified. Um, and, of course, he played in a period, James and Jack, where you couldn't play in defence unless you could look after yourself. Chris was one of those who gave the impression that butter wouldn't melt in his mouth, but nobody ever, um, how can I put it, nobody ever wrestled the ball from him, sure we put that. He had every physical trick in the book to make sure that he came out with the ball at his feet. Am I am I wrong to say that we've all mentioned players there, but uh, Walker was the, was the best of those. And uh, But, and it so ha- often happens with footballers, I, didn't, I wasn't that impressed when he first got in the team. His distribution was terrible and teams had worked out. If you, got, if you slowed him down, and got him to a standstill. His passing was terrible. But of course, uh, he, he overcame all of those obstacles, learned to play properly, and absolutely brilliant. Which takes us in the opening part of the show, which is about right-backs, to um, the knock-ons of the of the Porro deal. Uh, Matt Doherty uh, has joined Atletico Madrid. Yes, I'll say those words again for the doubters. Uh, he's joined Atletico Madrid. Um, I suppose that's that spurs. The story doesn't end there. Um, it all seems to have been ha- done at the very, very last minute. And after Jed Spence had turned down the chance, yes, Tottenham's Jed Spence had turned down the chance to go to Atletico Madrid as well. Um, Mutual agreement, we're told, with Matt Doherty. But I've seen people being very negative about this. Jack saying, oh, they've torn up his contract because they didn't realise they had X, Y and Z players out on loan. But in the end, it's a brilliant deal for Matt Doherty. It comes to the end of his contract anyway. To go and play for Atletico Madrid is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he gets to... Uh, I mean, look, the fact is, he's barely played this season. Like, he, he had that run of three games after Christmas, but Conte's been pretty open talking about how he hasn't been able to get back to the levels he showed last season. I do think it's worth remembering with Doherty that, you know, people will criticise his time at Spurs, but Spurs' best run of league form in the last five years, basically, was February, March, April of last season uh, and he played every game when he came back into the team after the after the um, after that game where they lost at Burnley uh, and then they went on they that kind of kick-started the winning run saw them into fourth so and a lot you know I think a lot of that was down to Doherty but anyway he's clearly not been in the team that much this year obviously Porro coming in effectively makes would make him third choice he's you know he's uh, an established experienced international player I don't think he's I don't think being third choice is really for him um, and he's got a chance to go and play for a massive club with a huge stadium who compete for trophies and play in Europe and, you know, play for one of the best managers in the modern era. Yeah, they're in a period of transition, um, uh, Atletico, which may end with Simeone having to go because they're finding that they're grinding their gears trying to change from Simeone's Dogs of War team uh, to what they're trying to do now. But it's another example of they're looking, trying to get the ball forward in different ways uh, than, than they used to. It'll be very interesting to see how he gets on there. I mean, the um, that deal, as I say, to make per- make perfect sense to me. My only worry about it was what it means for Harry Kane, because of course they were busy mates, uh, the two of them um, there at Spurs. The one that caused me to raise an eyebrow, I've got to be honest, if I was very positive about about uh, Doherty going, um, was the the Brian Hill uh, 
thing going back to Seville. Um, so that means that in the space of 18 months, Spurs have given Seville Eric Lamella 20 million euros and Brian Hill in return for one decent half of football against Crystal Palace and a great haircut. And all those photos on Westminster Bridge as well. Let's not forget I that. suppose. And those um, memes of folk rock album covers. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Seville, uh, they've, they've won the last two games. Prior to that, they were in the they were bottom of the league. Um, in Spain. No, it was second bottom because, of course, nobody could get below Elche. You'd need a, some kind of excavation machinery to do that. I mean, I, I, how, how, how much... Lamella's been injured loads, though, in this last 18 months, hasn't he? Every time I seem to look, he seems to have been injured. So, well, it's very like his time at Spurs. And he started quite well. Well, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I've seen a few people sort of longingly, uh, you know, wishing that Lamella had stayed and, and Hill hadn't joined and, that you know, that whole thing had never happened. And although, you know... They might be twenty-five million pound better off that way. I'm not sure they would have got loads more football out of Lamella than they've got. No, I mean, we miss Eric's attitude. Let's be honest. Um, they're a, they're well, a yeah, yeah, against yeah. Arsenal, obviously, but what we miss is somebody coming on with twenty minutes to go to 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 kick people up in the air and to say, right, I don't care what happens, I, I'm I'm going to get involved in this game. Um, that is Richarlison's job's currently currently, isn't it? Um, to to get after that sort of thing. Um, and finally on the on this right backs business, Jed Spence. Look, we. This is gonna this is in danger now of becoming um a great mystery, isn't it? Why not? Is he a great player hidden and all the rest of it? Very interesting that he had, I as I understand it, and you Jack, you're probably more across this than me, six offers, three from the Premier League, um, and chose to join what looks like the least glamorous of all the clubs he could have joined. He's chosen to join Wren, partially, I suspect, because um, he figures he'll get more game time in France. It's also true that he will be, no doubt be able to contact Joe Rodon. I don't suppose they know each other. They've crossed over, didn't they? To find out that Wren's captain, who plays right back, is out injured for the foreseeable. Very, very, I think it's a good thing for him. Go somewhere where he thinks he's going to play a lot of football. Because I, I want to see what this fella can do. Yeah, good for him. You know, it would have been much easier to well stay, on, stay at Tottenham. And not play or go somewhere else and probably not play, but he's uh, he's taken an option where hopefully he can get out on the pitch. I, he's yeah, he's clearly a very talented player. You know, we all we all saw how good he was for Nottingham Forest last season in the Championship. I, I don't think there's much point of him sticking around at Tottenham for a manager who didn't want him and hasn't played him. You know, he hasn't started a game for Tottenham and they've had quite a few this season. So yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, he'll get some football and then you know, let's see where we are next season. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's perfectly possible, is it, James, that. Um, Antonio Conte, who we wish well, of course, won't be there. And a new manager will come along and think, oh my God, they've got Jed Spence on the book. Let's have him in. It's quite rare that you'll see a loan deal like this with no option or obligation these days. Normally, it will come with one or the other. Uh, so maybe that's quite telling. The fact, the fact that there's just an expectation he'll just be back at Tottenham next season and, and that things will suddenly be different in the managerial yeah, sense. Yeah, where he'll find himself behind Pedro Porro. I know. It, it's an odd one and good luck to him. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes 
and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. Jack Pitbrook and James Moore with me as well, I'm delighted to say. That was the the club's version of McNamara Band, which we, after much research, have discovered um, is was was especially recorded. Traditional song, of course, been recorded many times. But that version was specially recorded for the club. And those of you saying you're going to put it on Spotify, no, we're not. It's the clubs, and we, you know, we we play it, and we're delighted to play it. But really, I don't think we can, even this podcast, cheeky as it is, cannot claim ownership of it. We might one day for a treat, we might play the whole thing with all its lyrics and all the rest of it, because it's a great story about what was a real band out in the west of Ireland back in the day. But it's time now for, I mean, we should have a, bl- a sort of twentieth-century Fox blast of trumpets here for the Spurs squad audit. Now, veterans of this will remember that we used to go through. Um, player by player, um, there's so much going on at Spurs that I don't think we can afford the time to do that today. But what we will do is just go by it department by department. And it's pointless talking about, you know, how we're going to be in a year and a half's time. This is the end of the transfer window. These are the players we've got. We've got two cup competitions, the Champions League and, and the FA Cup, which they're still in, and critical games that will see Spurs qualify or otherwise for the Champions League. Are we, how are we equipped at the present moment for Tons of games. James, you are the the uh, the, the veteran of um, the, the squad audit. I'll let you start with, where are we with our goalkeepers? I mean, I think we'd probably all be in agreement that that is an area where they should definitely be looking to improve in the summer. I mean, that will be quite interesting because if they obviously... If they bring in a new number one, then they're going to have a decision to make over whether Larice stays as like the experienced number two or whether Forster stays or whether they try and find someone else to be the second-choice goalkeeper. I think that they should replace him. I hope that he manages to kind of recover enough form that it doesn't cost Spurs big games in the second half of the season because I think, you know, they will have a lot of big games, hopefully, in the league and in the Cups. But yeah, it's it's clearly... I think this feels like one season too far for Larissa Tottenham. Okay, let's move on then to the defence and the way that Spurs are currently lined up. We have to divide defence, although it's a team uh, enterprise. We have to divide it into... Two wing backs. Um, we got a lot of wing backs out on loan. Jed Spence, uh, Sergio Reggion, and Destiny Udogi. They, of course, can't help Spurs now. We go into the packed second half of the season with Pedro Porro, Emerson Royale, Ryan Sessignon, and Ivan Perisic. And of course, Jack, at great expense, it looks like Spurs really have upgraded there um, with the experience of Perisic on one side and the enthusiasm and hopefully skill. Uh, of Pedro Porro on the other. I really like Perisic, and I think he's been a good signing. I would have 
probably like to have seen a little bit more from him in the final third. His delivery is really good. Yeah. His corner, his corners are great. Yeah, he's two footed. His crossing's good. I just kind of expect him to get in the box and score more. But he's the guy who's going to score like the big goal in the big cup game. You know, towards the end of the. Do you know what I mean? He'll score like a winner in a cup quarterfinal or semi final or something like that. He scored in a World Cup final and a World Cup semi-final. Not, for, not from full-back, though, Brilliant in the case. Brilliant goal in the World Cup final in 2018. No, it's true. Uh, so, yeah, Perisic... Yeah, I still think Perisic has been good. And Poro, I'm excited about. But it's been... you know, Like we've said a hundred times, it's been a bit... They should have signed him earlier. Or they should have signed someone like him before. Having spent ages worrying about the right-wing-backs, plural. Now, actually, you look at the left and you think, well, Perisic... You know, everything we said about him there, he's, what, 34? Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of looking at replacing him one way or another in the next year or so Sessegnon uh, I mean hasn't pushed on at all really you know and we talked about what we have perceived to be a lack of confidence before and you do actually wonder whether he's another one who might benefit from going out online at some point so I mean I think that's probably just about enough to muddle on through between now and the end of the season but again I think that's another area where I, mean, I suppose you've got Udogi coming back haven't we so that's fine Ignore that, it'll be alright The one that I think will cause people to take a deep breath I don't want to bias your, your opinion um, is centre-backs where they didn't do anything during the January transfer window, which means that uh, Antonio Conte, Christian Stellini, etc., have got to find a tune out of Christian uh, Romero, Eric Dyer, Davinson Sanchez, Yafit Tanganga, Ben Davis and Clement Longley. So they're not, they're not short of numbers there. There's seven people there who can play that position. Are they, James, good enough to see Spurs have a decent second half of the season? I mean, again, I'd sort of say it's a similar story, really. They're a good, look, look, Christian Romero, we think it should be sort of nailed on for the next seven, eight years in that team. I know we've had a few grumbles in the last few weeks about how he's played, some of his sort of decision-making and rashness and whatever. In general, I think we, we, we would be pretty confident that he's going to be like a long-term option and a good one in that position. But, I mean, for example, Longley, like, do we think he's done enough so far this season to justify Spurs paying any money for him in the summer if it happened I don't think so I think he looks quite good at the start quite short at the start but he's he's not looked say better than Ben Davis and I think this season and Ben Davis is probably one of his worst seasons for Spurs so it's been telling that Conte and Stellini have both said recently that um, the solution to their defensive problems is uh, it's not just about you know the three centre-backs it's about the whole unit defending the team better you know they need to everybody needs to work harder and press more to take a bit of pressure off the, off the centre-backs I mean, one solution to the problem would be to build a time machine, go back to last summer and spend the money on Gvardiol or um, Bastoni. Because clearly, like, Longley was just a kind of a stopgap measure because they couldn't get any of their top targets. They thought, oh, we'll get in, we'll get in this guy who can do a job in that role, cover for Davis, help us a little bit on the ball. And he hasn't, you know, he obviously hasn't improved Tottenham at all. Like, you know, I don't think he's played horrifically badly, but... Spurs have been Spurs have got worse this season, and I do wonder if they'd had a a top if they if they'd really brought in a top class centre left centre back, which of course is what they wanted to do initially, but weren't able to. Then um, you know the whole team would have been better this season. It would have taken a bit of the pressure off Dian Romero. I think Dian Romero both had you know clearly they were both. I think it felt in both cases like they had an eye on the World Cup going to the World Cup. Romero more than Dyer. Um, I think Dyer is just a confidence issue, confidence of performance, whereas I think Romero is probably more of a distraction issue. And I think we're, you know, we're all hoping that they have a better second half of the season. Individually and collectively. I mean, it is telling that if, uh, if I put either of you against a wall and said, uh, what is your most precious thing in the world? Um, you're going to lose that if Spurs lose this football match. You'd pick you'd pick Ben Davis at the present moment over, over Clement Longley. Now midfield um, at most clubs, I would divide into attacking midfielders and defensive midfielders. 
Um, but Spurs have only got one kind of midfielder, really. And Benton Kerr, I suppose, is a transition player. They've got a whole lot of talent out on loan. Uh, Gio Lo Celso, um, Tangen Dombele, um, Harry Winks, who has finally, as we reported earlier, made his debut for Sampdoria. Um, but they can't help us. So we're reliant on Pep Sarr, uh, Oliver Skip, uh, Rodrigo Bentenker, Pierre Elmer Hoiberg, and Eve Bissouma. I'll throw this to you first, Jack, and I'm going to say this. If Spurs are to succeed this season within even their own limited ambitions, I think Basuma is going to have to emerge as the player we know he can be because they cannot play the next 20-odd games with Pierre-Emil Hoiberg and Rodrigo Benton Kerr, not because they aren't both in their own ways fine footballers and triers, They'll just run out of steam, won't they? So, it, I mean, I, I think it's Basuma who holds the key here. Yeah, I mean, it's a miracle that they've got as far as they have with Hoiberg and Benteke playing basically every minute. Certainly before the World Cup, since the World Cup, there's been a little bit more rotation. It's pretty apparent that Conte doesn't particularly trust Sar and Skip, no matter what he might say. And also it's apparent that Basuma's taken a lot longer to get settled in than we thought, um, you know, uh, tactically around the place. It's clearly there's quite a bit of learning he still needs to do to get up to speed, but he's going to have to. You're right, because particularly if you're competing in multiple fronts, if they're going to stay in Europe especially, where I'm sure they'd want the option maybe of playing the Basuma as the extra midfielder, which I think has actually worked pretty well in the few games they have done it before they've gone back to the 3-4-3. They, he, Basuma has to be able to take more responsibility and he has to become an important player because so far... He's uh, he just feels like a squad player. As much as anything else, as you say, it's it's the legs, isn't it? It's like relieving Bentenker and Hoiberg of the number of minutes they've had to play in the first half of the season. And I've noticed on uh, social media, and we're back to the part of the cycle where people are suddenly saying Hoiberg is absolute shit again now, which I, I think is quite harsh given how well he did the, the contribution he made in the first half of the season. All I would say is that um, in the case of Jed Spence, Bissouma and Richarlison, under another manager with different ideas, they, they might all have been established first-team players by now and have improved the first team. Conte is he's exceptional, um, and that's the word I'd use. He's not like um, other managers, and you, you, you buy into that, um, and you have to deal with that. Which takes us to the forwards. I'm going to include Lucas Moura here, who surprisingly is still there, and um, played a, put the under-21s the other day. So maybe um, his injury, and you know, God bless him, I can't stand it for footballs when they got... Something you know that isn't life threatening, but just doesn't heal for them, so they can't play. He will add his um, particular skills to a group that includes Son Hun Ming, Arno Danjuma, Dejan Kulusevski, Harry Kane, and Richarlison. And it strikes me, James, that here, you know, that that is a pretty good stock of forward players, including the you know arguably the best forward player the club has ever had. If if the team can get back into defending well there's no reason why that lot shouldn't see us do very well in the second half of the season yes I, I mean it'd be interesting to see whether, whether Lucas plays any football at all in the second half of the season I, mean, I guess we're kind of getting to the point where there are fewer games where he, he just feels like he needs games against you know Morecambe's and Fleetwood's and whoever to kind of play himself back into being able to come off the bench against Man City there may be a game against Wrexham to come but if it does I guess he's probably not going to be involved by that point I think I say this every single time I still think they're one short there you know Dan, Dan Juma on Hill is an upgrade of sorts I mean it's definitely an upgrade but where, where are they short I mean it strikes me that you know um, a sixty million pound Brazilian, the Brazilian centre forward can't get in the in the team. Um, I'm not sure that they are short, are they? 
But that, that they're short of a creative player, though, aren't they? I mean, you, 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 the most creative player in the team is the centre forward. The centre forward who's keeping your sixty million pound Brazilian number nine out of the team. So, uh, that, that, what, what they're lacking is like a sort of. You know, we talked about a Kulusevski backup, but I think it's someone in the rotation of players who can play off a striker out wide in a midfield free or whatever. It's someone like versatile and massively creative. That's what you know. We talked about Ericsson in the summer. The weird thing about Rashardson is that clearly he's not played very much. I think he's actually played pretty well when he has played. But I think it comes down to the fact that Kane and Son, contrary to expectations, have not got injured all year. Because Richarlison's best position, I think, would be Son's position. I think his second best position would be Kane's position. But because the only one of those of the, of the first choice front three who's got injured this year is Kulisevsky, Richarlison's actually played the lion's share of his games in Kulisevsky's position, which I think is probably his worst position of the three. Like, it's bad for him, and it's also bad for the team, because it just means they're kind of overloaded, too narrow going forward. And it makes every, it basically makes, I think, playing Richarlison on the right of that front three, along with Kane and Son, makes everyone look worse. So he's sort of been a victim of circumstance. Like I'm not saying that he would have sat there wanting Kane or Son to get injured. But if Kane or Son had got injured, which I think would have been a reasonable expectation given the number of games they play in the World Cup and everything else, then Richarlison would have played in their roles. And to be honest, I think he would have done really, really well. The only thing I would say about this, and I've got to be very careful here because I love him to bits, is does there come a point where watching Son perfect his impression of Lucas Moura, i.e., highly mobile, running into dead ends and falling over himself. Uh, but we know what a great player is in there. After a while, does that just become wishful thinking? And uh, will Antonio Conte not be confronted with the idea of dropping Son so Richarlison can play in his best position, uh, James, but perhaps just to rotate the two of them until Son finds his mojo again? Well, yeah, I mean, it's like Pasuma, isn't it, in midfield? It's a similar, it's a similar question. Should... Would Spurs be in a better place if that had happened earlier in the season? Obviously, that injury to Kulusevski, as Jack mentioned, meant Richardson had to play on the right, so Kane and Son couldn't really be rested as much. You know, there's been a few games we've we've come into the match. I think probably Fulham, I guess, was probably the last one where we thought Richardson should start this game over Son, uh, and it didn't happen. You know, I'd be amazed if it happened this weekend against Man City. But I, I think if his form continues to be as erratic, and that's probably being generous. Uh, as it's been over the last six months, then his, re- his record against City moment. alone should get him into the team, shouldn't it? That is true, yeah. And the fact you know he did score two very good goals in the last game, um, even if it was only against Preston. So, yeah, you would expect him to play that game. But then you know, once say once we're back into the realm of midweek games, you know, obviously two games against Milan, and there's a couple of other midweek Premier League games. I think around that time, maybe that's a moment where you'll see Richarlison start a, game, a Premier League game, maybe out on the left which I think would be quite a big moment. I mean, I, I think it's quite frustrating that it hasn't happened up to now, really, or not much. Um, you would like to have seen that happen. Uh, obviously, his injury, his own injury, which Alison's injury is quite badly timed in that regard. If Charlie Eccleshare was here, he would say, that's perfectly good enough to finish fourth, win the FA Cup. Uh, do we share Charlie's radiant enthusiasm, Jack? Well, I think, it, I mean, I think it is good enough to finish fourth. I don't think it's that hard to finish fourth. We don't know... We, I don't know how sort of sticky Newcastle United and Manchester United will be in the top four in the second half of the season. There's still a lot of games left. And I think that I think if Spurs improve, which they should, I think they probably will. Then there's no reason they can't do it. But um, they're going to have to need one of Newcastle and Man United to have a blip. I think that's likely to be Newcastle at the moment. Good enough to win the FA Cup? Well, I mean, w- what is good enough to win the FA Cup? We all know how random the FA Cup is. It's not a test of, of how good you are. A, a couple of things have made me slightly more optimistic about the top four. One, Newcastle being in a cup final. I always think that can be a distraction either before or after. 
Like it could be playing on the minds of those players in the few weeks before the game and it'll be the end of this month, right? You know, and being in the cup final for Newcastle is a massive deal. And I hope that doesn't sound patronising, but you know, when were Newcastle haven't been in a, when were they last in the cup final? Like 99, was it? I mean, in fact, they played in the Champions League more recently than they've been in a cup final. So I'm not saying necessarily means it is a bigger deal to their fans or to the club. It probably isn't to their quote unquote project, but you can definitely see their scope for it being a big enough thing to see, you know, players attracted enough for performances to come down by a slight percentage. And then, you know, they're, they're a team who rely massively on their defence and, you know, those margins are fine. And if they have one game or two games where they don't perform quite as well, they're not quite as sharp, not quite as focused and they drop points or, or afterwards, if they win and then, you know, they're distracted by that, that could open the door. It feels unlikely given they've conceded 11 goals in 20 games, which is in- incredibly impressive. But when I see stats like that, I always think, it's more likely to go the other way in the second half. Not that they'll concede loads, but that they're not that they probably won't perform as well. And then they don't score loads of goals, so it's not impossible. Obviously, they're a very good team. I, I think if you flipped it, and this is this is what Charlie would say: they're the inexperienced team who are, who weren't expecting to be as as high as that in the league at this point in the season before the whole thing started, and they're the ones who realistically will be looking over their shoulders more than Spurs should be, you know, fearful of overhauling that gap I mean the problem is obviously they've got the game against Newcastle is up there and that will be a very difficult one and the other thing that, that, that made me quite positive sorry was Manchester United where you know it's suddenly a little they had a little momentum, momentum and you thought oh actually are they going to end up in the title race and then they were quite flat against Palace and Drew and where, where Spurs had won 4-0 two weeks before you know they're, they're, they're in good form they've got a lot of good players but they're not like head and shoulders I loved, I loved your Olympic sta- 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 standard straw clutching there um, they're both in the, in the League Cup final that could really derail their season now look let's um let's move on to I think it's the most exciting story to uh, come out of uh, the Spurs camp in the last 72 hours since we were last with you on the view from the lane listen to this Yes, it's been announced that Beyonce, the queen of the world, as far as we know, um, is to play not one, not two, but three shows at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as part of her Renaissance World Tour. Um, Jack, are you absolutely crazy for this? Before we came on air, I was going to prepare a response to that question full of Beyonce uh, song titles as puns. How's that going? Rubbish. I, I started doing I started writing it down. I've got... I couldn't get in if I were a boy. I couldn't really get in Halo. It's easy to get in Irreplaceable. I can just about get in Sweet Dreams. And I thought, actually, Jack, this is going to be shit. Just don't don't, <laughs> don't, don't bother with your bad gag, you idiot. Well, well done. Are, are you excited about the prospect of, of, the, of the great woman playing there? Great for Tottenham. I mean, that's why they built the stadium. You know, they built the stadium because they could have not just NFL, boxing, concerts, uh, rugby, all sorts there, which obviously brings in a lot of money. It's great for the status of the club. Uh, I probably won't go, but I'm. I think I've got a wedding that weekend. But I'm. I'm pleased that the, I'm. You know, I'm pleased they're happening, and it's great for this to be on. James is laughing as I say we'll, this. We'll let. We'll let her know you can't make it, mate. <laughs> I, I'm just. James, are you going to go? James, you should well, go. I'm not going to go, but I'm very happy that this is going to complete the circle of. That thing, like, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before, like in the sort of late 2000s, early 2010s, they played Crazy in Love at the end of every single home game that Spurs didn't win. So all these like crap home defeats to Stoke and Hull and whatever would always end with that song. So now, I, I don't know, I'm going to tweet this, I'm repeating my own joke from Twitter, which is bad, but I, I'll do it anyway. So I, I don't know if they're going to play like 
McNamara's band at the end of the concert. (laughs) And to close the circles as well then, she will be the best person called Knowles to be at that stadium since Cyril in the 1970s. Um, playing left wow. back in the team. Oh, oh wow. yeah, everybody. That's why the awards keep flowing in. Don't worry that about that. Maybe the most Danny Kelly joke of all time. Well, not even a joke, just a fact, an observation of which you may make something of for yourselves. All of which, of course, um, and I hope, I hope she's brilliant because uh, I, I'm going to say something controversial. And I thought Lemonade's the best work she's ever done. Um, great producers, great noises. Perhaps we're all putting off the uh, preview of the game against Manchester City. We all know the, 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 the style of thing here. Spurs have got a pretty good record against Manchester City. City are not in their own most scintillating form. Otherwise, they wouldn't be five points behind somebody else's top of the table. Um, what, what can we expect this weekend, James? Will Porro start? Well, yeah, that is the question. I, I have a feeling he probably won't. This feels like the kind, but, but do you not think? And, this feels that's unlikely. what modern coaches do. It, it's so it's so ludicrous. But anyway, go on. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's so strange to be playing them again so soon after that 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 game two weeks ago today, as we record. It doesn't feel quite right to already be thinking about a second game. It's like in 2019 when they played them in the league. Yeah, and then a few the days Champions after league the Champions League. league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, you, obviously, as you mentioned, they have such a good record against Man City that you, you kind of you do have a, a certain degree of confidence. And I think that Poro signing, regardless of whether or not he starts, will sort of move the dial in terms of the atmosphere. And actually, the Conte thing as well, whether or not he is in the dugout, I think, um, will kind of amp up the atmosphere too. So, and obviously you've got the uh, the Arsenal factor in, in the result, you know, a good result for Spurs would also be a good result for Arsenal, which is a fairly horrible situation to be in. It wouldn't surprise me if Spurs got a result, I've got to say. I've, I've watched a lot of Manchester City in the last sort of two months or so, three months or so. I, I just, I've very rarely been impressed. They just don't look like a good team, like a, like, like a you know, look like a good team. They look like a, a top, top, top team to me. They look quite a way off that. They certainly have confidence in their manager if they allow him to let Jao Cancelo, who, let's be fair, was the best fullback in the league along with Reese James last year, to go to a Champions League rival. They obviously think they've got something going on at that club. Jack, can you give Spurs a, a, a... They're the home team. They have got statistics, tell you. They've got a, a chance of getting something out of this game. A, a draw would it would be nice. They can win. Yeah, I don't think they, I don't think they need to worry. Too. I mean, look, obviously City got Haaland, but I, don't, I think City... I don't think Haaland's made City better. He's just scored a lot of goals. I think really for Spurs, it all comes down to, can, you know, can they score their chances? And even though we were just talking about Son, about dropping Son earlier, they, you know, if ever there was a game where they need sort of golden era Son, you know, like kind of peak Son, it's this one. Because Son has been so integral to so many of their best results against Manchester City over the last five years. You know, um, the way that City, you know, the space that City leaving behind the defence, the... Son is perfect to exploit that. So I hope that we see kind of classic Son for this game. But there's no reason that Tottenham shouldn't do it. But the, 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 I think one of the reasons that they need to be on the three points is, we've I think we mentioned this the other week, it remains the case that they haven't beaten anyone good this year. And then we're in February now. Like The best teams they've beaten are Fulham and Brighton and then Marseille in Europe. So it's I think it's about time they beat somebody good. Okay, listen, um, thank you for that. It is worth saying that... Uh, City's current way of playing, as as oddly enough, all the three best teams in the league with three centre-backs and one full-back going forward has exaggerated the space on the right-hand side of City's defence that Son has traditionally um, exploited. It'll be interesting to see if that remains the case at the Spurs Stadium 
at the weekend. And that ends the view from the lane. Thank you all very much for listening. Thanks, Jack and James, for uh, being so, so good as well. Um, and remember, as I always say, and I say it because it's true, if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, you should sign up now to read all of the, well, fantastic Spurs coverage, as well as everything else that's on the site. And I say that as though it was containable. It is infinite. It's an enormous amount of stuff. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just £1.99 a month for the first 12 months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. The Athletic.